You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to episode 87. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. All right, here we go. Uh, we got some follow-up here. Um, first off, Apple released uh, El Capitan, and like idiots, we both just immediately installed it. <laughs> Day one. And <laughs> flew headfirst. And just in case you haven't listened to episode 52 when we launched Sunrise Robot, um, part of our workflow for publishing episodes involves using some Ruby tools to create a flat site that we then push onto the web. And all those broke Just so horribly. <laughs> it was like multiple layers of breaking too, because my Ruby environment was broken, my Git environment was broken, my middleman environment was broken. Like they just everything I fixed. I was like, oh, I just need to fix this one thing. Oh, there's another broken thing, and it's a problem. I have no idea how to fix. So it was just it was like two hours on Stack Overflow and. It still doesn't work, by the way. Yeah. Like, we had to go the vagrant route. And to be fair, this is something we should have done a long time ago. <laughs> yes. to create a, a, a siloed, stable dev environment for this stuff. Yeah, so when backed into a corner, we did the right <laughs> thing. I do have to say, though, um, you know, I have my, my home server that's running Windows, and I, I tried, like, literally six or seven times to update it to uh, Windows 10, and they all failed miserably, and I finally gave up on it because I was like, it's a home server, who cares? <laughs> but, man, with, with El Capitan, because to be in, in Apple's defense, the reason all of our crap broke was because they added this extra layer of security. Turns out some of these tools were relying on root, and taking taking yeah. root away is good for security, bad for tools that need root. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, it was like one button. Like I said, I want El Capitan. I went and had lunch. And when I came back, it was updated. Super smooth. Yeah, one of the, le- other than our, our dev environment <laughs> stuff, it was pretty much uneventful in a good way. And I, I do, I mean, the new features are not like, this stuff's pretty mature. Not a lot's changing. They, they change the font, which I can barely tell. And like without a side by side picture, I can't even tell. You gotta give up your designer and, uh, card. Yeah. <laughs> and, but you know, like the full screen, you can do the Windows 8 slash 10 style snapping now. And I might use that for one of my full screen setups, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just anything that's a step in the direction of security and stability. Like those are, those are good changes. I don't need a ton of new stupid finder features. Just make everything faster and more stable and stop, stop breaking my environment. I can't even remember. What did they say were the new features of El Capitan? Uh, I am firmly in the, I have no idea camp. The only reason I rushed to update is because they were like, it's uh, it's the Snow Leopard release, right? Like, it is to Yosemite as Snow Leopard was to, to Leopard. So that, to me, was like, okay, more stable, not really features I care about. I'm sure there's a crazy Ars Technica rundown of, like, every single bell and whistle out there. So I just scanned through uh, natural language search when you're in mail... You can say emails from Bob. I hate OS ten mail. I avoid it like the plague. So who cares? So, uh, I mean, uh, supposedly Spotlight got that too. But 
Um, the only other huge one I'm seeing just from this quick scan live research was uh, they got rid of their outdated, unmaintained uh, OpenGL implementation for drawing everything on the screen. And they're using their stuff called Metal, which is uh, uh, low-level APIs for faster graphics. So okay. supposedly Retina people have snappier window drawing. So great. I'll, I'll try to take note of that. <laughs> So I know you usually grab your window and just shake violently to test, you know, screen. Oh, tearing. that's one of the new features. If you you know how you shake your mouse like a crazy person when you're not sure where the cursor is. Now, when you do that, yeah. it makes the cursor giant, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, I don't know. It's a thing that that is. Uh, I see some people presenting on projectors do that sometimes. Oh, yeah. And now all those people are going to, for like two seconds, are going to have the giant <laughs> cursor on their screen and everyone's going to go, Whoa. Yeah. Uh, sadly, the, the ad topic won't die. So take us through our follow-up on this. What What's what's still lingering? <laughs> it is really the topic that won't die. Um, so I didn't realize that Adblock, capital B, and Adblock, lowercase b plus, were actually like two different companies. And uh, the guy who runs Adblock quit his job to sell an extension that blocks ads... <laughs> Which is already, like we talked about that, that's kind of weird. And then he sold the company to a mysterious buyer. And now that company is going to like do what they call uh, approved ads. So now there's this coalition of we don't know who, who apparently yeah. gets together in some dark room and does some cloak and dagger deciding of what ads are... Oh, it's sorry, it's acceptable <laughs> ads, not approved ads. Acceptable <laughs> ads. Adblock will now only show useful ads by default with more aggressive and annoying ads getting blocked. Yeah, what are, what are useful ads? Really well-paying ads? Yeah, really well-paying or <laughs> tickets to a show that you just saw that you probably don't need tickets to in the past. Yeah, so th this is... No matter what you think about the morals of blocking ads, this seems really shady. Like, yeah, it's shady on top of shady. Harness people's frustration to squeeze advertisers by, you know, I mean, the strategy is become a very popular free ad blocker, sell attention the same way we were annoyed at all these websites <laughs> for doing the same thing. So it's kind of just a, a reinvention of the same crap. Yeah. So I have, I've been running Ghostery. Um, in in my personal Chrome, not in when I do like other stuff uh, for work, and I've been pretty happy with it. Everything seems to be a little bit snappier. It does crack me up because you know it it shows you there's like a little badge number of like oh it blocked. I had to turn that off. Oh, did you? <laughs> it drove me oh, crazy. I think it's funny because it's usually like oh this blocked three trackers or oh this this site was naughty. They had seven trackers. I was on something. It's actually one of the blogs that's in our show notes. So I'll try and point it out when it comes across. It's like 14 trackers. <laughs> Just like there are more trackers than content. Like you don't. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. So anyway, this, this, this ad block selling thing. Um, apparently this is, it's just like you said, this is very normal. Like these people do a thing and then they just turn around and basically commit the same crime. People were feeling they'd been affronted by. Um, I am super proud of myself. I put a joke on Twitter relating to Adblock that's in the show notes, and I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it, but you should go and check it out. SunriseRobot.net slash flipping table slash 87. It's a pun on top of a dad pun. 
And I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually patting myself on the back. <laughs> so there's this thing with uh, tablets and keyboards, and is that a thing? Like, are we are we actually <laughs> gonna do this now? So you got you got to introduce what the hell are you talking about? So, so I mean, we have we the, have surface. the surface. Well, okay. I mean, if we, let's go way back. So you had like Windows ninety eight tablets with touch. No, let's not go. Back no, I think there. this is fair, right? And the problem, the real problem with them, everybody said was, oh, the touch targets are terrible, and it's it, it's a uh, what do you call it a, a cap- resistive, resistive screen, not a capacitive screen, and it's it's just not a good experience. And then flash forward to the iPad, which was the first like successful tablet, and everybody liked it. But the big difference wasn't just that the touch actually worked; it was that you held it very differently than you use a laptop right um i think you were the one who introduced me to the term gorilla arm where like touching a screen that's way out in front of you is like a really bizarre experience yeah after like 15 seconds you're like i'm tired i'm not gonna do this (laughs) right i'm just gonna use a mouse like a normal person so then the surface came out and for a while they've been marketing it as you know the tablet that can replace your laptop and i'm still like no I use a tablet and a laptop <laughs> for different things. And then the iPad Pro just got announced. And now at Google's event, the Pixel C got announced, which is a Pixel tablet, which they've been using for their Chromecast brand. But this runs Android <laughs> and it has this like sexy keyboard dock thing. So yeah. is the magnetically attaching keyboard is now the, the yeah the the norm but is this a thing like i thought no one wanted this like why are all these companies throwing so much yeah. weight behind it or is it just that we didn't get it right before i don't know and like the only i have a couple theories i mean one is that the surface is apparently selling well enough that at least in terms of being a market success it feels apple and google are like we got to respond to this i still don't know from a design is it actually solving problems that laptops don't solve or that you know touch devices don't solve like i don't know i don't i don't need a car that's also a ladder to get onto my house like i can keep separate products for that um (laughs) that's just the most amazing two products you could have mashed up off the top of your head well so here's what i was thinking about if you watch the the demo somebody you know fifty thousand bloggers all uploaded their youtube video of the demo of the guy at the chrome event and he grabs uh the the top of the pixel and the keyboard is attached with the magnet and man he just whips that thing around like it's held on there really solidly and my presumption is not because they're using super powered electromagnets it must be very thin and light and blah 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 so and it's powered from the tablet so it doesn't even have an internal battery it cannot be used by itself which also makes it lighter and I'm I'm thinking the gorilla arms thing notwithstanding, if it was so light that you and it, it was so flexible and quick that you could literally just reach out in front of you like you were grabbing onto the screen of your laptop and just drag it in front of you and now suddenly it's like you're holding a tablet and the keyboard like flipped into the back and it's out of the way and it's so light that it doesn't matter. Like would that be enough? So my problem is not with the hardware form factor. Like I, my Shelby has a Surface; it flips around just fine. Like that's all not that terribly difficult to deal with. To me, it's the software. It's and I think that's one of the complaints that we talked about 
before the show was, uh, you know, Google didn't lead with not only did we make this pro tablet that has a keyboard and here's a full suite of all of Google's <laughs> software that is ready to go on Android to support this. And it was kind of like, nope, developers, can you guys do it? <laughs> and like, I, I just think using Android in this form factor, it's like you can't just build and hope they'll come because tablets haven't really gotten that support on Android. Well, and I do I think know. it's weird that despite the fact that the Nexus 7 sold really well and the Nexus 9 sold okay, and this will probably sell halfway decent, people still tend to say like, oh, did you know there are no dedicated tablet apps on Android? And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, did you know there's no dedicated laptop websites? They also work on desktop, even though the screen is smaller and portable. Like, I, And I know like that's a, a reductive argument, but it's kind of not... Like a seven inch tablet is really not that much larger than a six and a half inch phone. So anyone who would argue that an, an app looks fine on a gigantic phone like the Note, and then they're like, oh, but there's no dedicated tablet apps. I'm like, yeah, it's not that much more screen real estate. You're not reconfiguring for this giant, completely different form factor. I mean, the the Pixel C is 10 inches, but... I mean, do you feel like an iPad app that's also on the iPhone doesn't make use of the space and reflow intelligently just like any website would? Well, I, I'd, I'd say with this form factor where it usually gets me is it's wide and uh, a lot of like the phone blown up apps are fine, but you know, usually like I think when they do it smartly, it usually it amounts to here's like your inbox on the left and here's the current message right. on the right. And that's really about as far as it goes usually to be designed <laughs> for a tablet. Um, but to me, it's like, oh, now you have a keyboard and like mobile apps, do they have keyboard shortcuts? Are they discoverable? It's just like you get into this weird no man's land of you're living in a touch world, but you're tempted to do what you do on a desktop and you don't know what's going to work and you're kind of in this weird space that's just kind of a wild west and i think that's where it usually breaks down yeah i don't know i i've never used a surface for an extended period i don't really love windows 8 so i didn't exactly go out of my way to do that and you know the ipad pro and this pixel c aren't out yet so i really love android and and i don't have any serious problems with ios so i mean i'd be i'd love for one of these to be available to me as my primary machine for like a week. Like you can't use your laptop or you can only use it. Like if you absolutely have to, but the rest of the time you yeah. have to try and live off of this like weird bastard child device. Yeah. Well, and to me, that's why windows works on the surface because it's a desktop OS and you use it like a laptop. <laughs> right. And I mean, I don't, really see Shelby using like the the tablet app side of it much she doesn't like read books on it um, no. I think she mostly uses it it's as way a laptop, too heavy but, for that yeah and I mean the I don't know about the Pixel C but the iPad Pro is you're not going to read like a paper book style you're not going to hold it with one hand like maybe magazine style but you still would look kind of goofy but yeah I don't know I mean to me it's it's about desktop software versus well I don't like we have to call it desktop <laughs> right. software now, but really I just mean software designed for power right. use, which is by and large not what you get on mobile 
OSs. And so to me, this is a software problem. So if software shows up, it'll validate these form factors. But at what point have you just tried to stretch your mobile OS into a desktop OS? Yeah, this is a weird space because I think at the same time, these new, these form factors can only even exist because we have these like ultra powerful uh, processors that run on very little battery so that they can be thin and light and not, you know, catch your lap on fire if you're playing a game or something. So we couldn't even do this before. So I respect that they're like, oh, we have thin <laughs> things now. Let's try like weird form factors with them. But at the same time, the OSs and the kinds of things people do on a device have changed so much that I feel like these they're kind of missing each other. Like the the yeah. the usability of the device physically and what people want out of software are like dancing around each other and maybe that's just the way it always has to go, right? Like you wouldn't write uh, a word processor if you didn't have a keyboard to type it in with, right? Like those two things needed to happen together. So the thing that gets me, I think I found out the 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 user like experience case for why mobile OSs aren't great in this form factor. And to me, it's it's about multitasking. And it's not about the system being able to run multiple apps at once. I mean, literally me hopping between tasks quickly. Because I mean, when you're like right now, we're running a podcast and I have like Google Sheets in my face. I have Slack open. I have whatever app I'm recording audio in. I also have Skype running and I can command tab between these. I can move through browser tabs and this is all happening at once. And that's not fun on mobile OS. No, not at all. Um, hopping into the task switcher, like it's fine if you're like, I was in Twitter and now I want to go back to email. <laughs> like that's fine. But you, you're not doing this kind of work. And just imagine like writing a blog post and you're like sourcing from several different tweets and articles and you're just hopping around grabbing quotes and that sucks on mobile <laughs> OSs. Like you can do it, but it takes twice as long. Yeah, I'm. I think that's you just articulated the argument I haven't been able to put into good words, which is even though I really like the idea of unitasking and focusing on what I'm doing, even if that's not an important thing, like if you're reading Twitter, read Twitter. And then if you're checking your email, check your email. Don't always be bouncing back and forth. But what we are literally doing right now would be nigh on inconceivably difficult on a mobile device. If it was doable at all, like more likely what we would have to do is have an external recorder that was recording to some completely separate physical device and then using our <laughs> our you know mobile device for i guess the Skype and the show notes maybe yeah which is the way it used to be when computers weren't powerful <laughs> enough when desktops weren't you'd be like that's the recording machine don't do yeah, anything yeah and i don't maybe what we're doing like maybe this is not a normal human use case like maybe only weird podcasters actually and you know video editors and and developers actually care about multitasking and everybody else is just like no i just need one thing in my face at a time and i may change from one thing to one thing really quickly but i don't actually need to do two things at once ever so yeah yeah i don't but i like like it, even like earlier today i was try creating like a vector calendar in illustrator and i had an image open right. for reference and I was also like watching Slack when people were talking to me and like all of that is just bizarrely more distracting on a mobile <laughs> OS than it is 
here because I can, you know, Slack can be pretty quiet. Like I can just look over and see that there's a new message and decide. And I don't know, like snapping Windows helps a little bit in these OSs, but it's just not quite the same to be able to just rock it around anywhere you so need to bef- go. So before we kill this, like, is there any chance that this is just a, well, that's the way I've always done it, like mentality here? I don't know. Do you do you see power users not wanting to be able to hop around? No, this is absolutely a devil's advocate feel- argument. <laughs> I'm just trying to be fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's always possible. It's that, and that there will be some solution we didn't imagine because we're stuck in our own environment. That like there will be a way to do things that I don't know. I'm just like <laughs> there will be some way. Some Life magical finds way. a way. <laughs> People just multiple devices, I See, guess. Three iPad Pro. I think you you and I actually <laughs> talked about this some some episodes ago about like the the smearing of hardware. So you know, I have my smartwatch which does certain things. Then I have my phone which does certain things. Then my tablet which does certain things, and my laptop which does certain things. And although there is a <laughs> lot of potential for overlap, each one excels at a specific like realm of things or a, even an individual thing. So I'm going to use it for that, but there's definitely a ceiling to that solution. Like I don't want 150 devices. Like right now I basically yeah. manage four. I've got a smartwatch, a phone, a tablet and a laptop. And I do actually use my tablet far more regularly than I think a lot of people with tablets do where it's like their toilet device basically, or like their, their digital <laughs> recipe book. I do use it a fair amount, but it's a little bit tied to my work, and I don't think I'd reach for it as often if it wasn't. So I just got a sci-fi scenario in my mind of how <laughs> maybe some of this could be simplified or, or obs- obscured enough to work in a, a mobile-type OS. And uh, you have to assume two things. First, that um, switching between apps on a mobile device would be as snappy as command-tabbing on your desktop. Like, just like... You, you switch from one to another, it's just like, boom, there. And um, the other thing is, like, Star Trek-level voice recognition, like, perfect. <laughs> and, like, so I could be, like, Slack, and it would just, like, hop over to Slack. <laughs> I don't know. Like, somehow your voice would offload some of the the, the task switching or, or <laughs> I don't know, that some of the commands <laughs> or gestures. I don't know. Like, you'd just be swiping back and forth, but... Yeah. Just, how do how do you beat command tab for like I just want to move over there. Okay, I'm in that app now. I don't know. I it, command tab is pretty great. <laughs> I mean, it's really 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 fast, especially because on even on a laptop, uh, devices or not devices, applications tend not to go to sleep, which means if you command tab to something, that thing is literally just sitting there waiting for you. <laughs> it's like Ooh. Yeah, it's, it's like a dog when you go to the store. It's like, oh my God, I can't wait for him to come back. You know, whereas on a mobile device, it's by design the opposite. You know, you are you are in email for a while and then Twitter's like, okay, I'll just go to sleep. Battery, I'm a battery killer. Exactly. So, I, I mean, there are ways you could eventually overcome these problems. I'm also thinking that a lot of this could be completely a non-issue if we had like near zero network latency and super high bandwidth because then everything could just run somewhere that had the CPU and you could just display it and interact with it. And then a lot of the limitations around mobile device design would just go away 
because who would care? Like you don't need local power, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. We'll have to come back to this when someone figures it out. <laughs> if it ever. So, you know, you've got a surface. Uh, we just need to find somebody with an iPad pro and a pixel C and then see who's getting it most right. So we talked about all this stuff with ad block and, and content blockers and all that stuff, but I've come across this like glut of weirdness recently with changes to publishing. And I think it's coming at a very non-coincidental time. There's no way these two things aren't related. But in the, the early 2000s, there was this huge push for like, everyone should blog. Everyone needs a personal website. Like I remember in uh, one of my college classes, because was, it was an IT program, they actually, one of the requirements was to register our domain name and like have a presence on the web, right? But now that is not how even most professionals do things. They're like, oh, you use Twitter and LinkedIn. That's enough, right? Yeah. And then recently uh, there's been another rumor around with Twitter that they're going to uh, up the number of characters in a tweet. And for anybody who's too young to remember or just doesn't care, the reason it's 140 characters is because of text messaging. A normal text message, I think, is limited to 160 characters, so they needed space for the phone number and the username and then message, right? Yeah. Um, Just recently, they actually, not a rumor, they did actually up their DM limit to 10,000 characters. (laughs) And then... On top of that, Facebook just came back, and if anyone is still using their ridiculous notes thing, which is like their little blogging thing. I totally forgot about that. I think you and everyone else. um, I figured for sure it had just been left to die, but it turns out it's still around, and now they've made it like a more robust and beautifully designed thing, and you can <laughs> do Sarah's signature sugar cookies like they have in their press Does release. it look like Medium now or something? Uh, it looks a lot like Medium. That's yeah, uh, it looks a lot like that. And and so this is this is what no I'm, sidebar just centered, yeah, centered, big, beautiful banner graphic at the top. And and Medium I think falls into this category because that's that grew out of Twitter. You know, like Jack Dorsey I think said. Uh, You know, Twitter was good for like microblogging, but now I want to do a thing for long form writing and and medium blah, blah, blah was born. Right. And like no ads. It's beautiful content only conversation is supported. I do have to praise their their commenting system that you can reply per paragraph. And I I kind of enjoy that. Yeah, I don't go to medium all the time. But whenever I'm there, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. People can talk about specific parts of the most interesting mic in the world. I don't always comment. But when I do, it's on media. <laughs> but I mean, th- so th- these are, are interesting to me because these are all no question silos, right? Twitter yeah. is, is where content goes to die. It's very ephemeral. It wasn't until not that long ago that you could even get out your archive. So like Twitter had your archive, but you weren't allowed to have it. So. Yeah. And you couldn't search back very far in your history because they didn't cache it that far right. back. And yeah, you can only get it out through the API and it was still only so far back, but now I think it actually goes all the way back. And there's a GUI way to get it, um, which doesn't work great. Uh, you just request your archive and they're like, we'll email you later. Yeah, <laughs> ah, bro, I'll get back to you. Um, so now, you know, Twitter's doing its thing. Facebook's trying to up their like blogging game. And they also have uh, their Facebook articles which is a way or instant articles, which is a way around ad blocking stuff because they're inline ads that are served by the Facebook app. So yeah. do you think this ad blocking stuff and these silos trying to like up their 
social game in terms of owning content is going to have a, a positive effect on publishing? Is this going to be negative? Will nobody care because nobody ever cared? Where are we going? <laughs> I mean, I, I really don't think the, the ad blocking hullabaloo, if you want to call it I that. do not want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. No one wants to call it that. Um, it, it's a whole bunch of noise for not really much going to happen. Like the, So imagine you're an iOS user. To install an ad blocker, um, you have to download an app from the App Store and then some people are going to stop there and think they're done. Like, I did it. I'm ad blocking. No. Um, then you have to go into settings, into Safari, and then find the menu item for content blocker and then enable the one you downloaded. And so I just find even that is going to be so much that 90% of people are never going to do this. Just like on a desktop. Maybe you got to find the extension, install it. Yeah, that cognitive load means only 5% or something that's maybe even generous are going to do this. So that side, I think, is kind of... It It was all this press because all the publishers were self-interested. They're like, we're going to make a big deal about this. Um, they might have Streisanded a little, though. Maybe more people are going to block it because they were talking about I it. I don't see how they couldn't have, right? Like, they definitely yeah. drew a ton of attention to this in mediums like major newspapers where normal people who might know nothing about ad blockers are like, oh, what's this now? Yeah. Um, but as far as the publishers all uh, skating over to these uh, silos like Apple News and instant articles and Medium and whatever, um, I, I feel like this was going to happen anyway because I feel like just the, the, the web ad tech stuff was just getting so ugly and actually just not profitable anyway like it's it's i feel like it's better targeting through these social platforms and probably um uh, some of google's other ad technology than just straight banner ads and intrusive stupid crappy things that pop over like i don't think that stuff worked i don't think it paid well to publishers i think this was all dying anyway before users revolted so do you think these uh, siloed content places like Facebook instant articles or uh, or you know Twitter content, which just eventually rolls off, and 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 medium posts, which I don't know may or may not be accessible after the fact. Like, are these is that bad or is it okay if not everything is preserved in perfect you know crystalline resin forever and ever? What do you mean preserved forever? Is that true anyway? No, it's definitely not true anyway. <laughs> but I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, something is like printed in a newspaper or a magazine, like it's the experience is more controlled and consistent, but the internet tends not to work that way. And this feels like a step in the direction of it really doesn't work that way. Like if you read this article on Facebook today, a week from now, Facebook may have changed their interface and the whole thing may be different or gone yeah like you know news will have a slightly different behavior um so this whole like retreat into silos thing whether it's facebook instant articles or apple news i it's really a mixed bag and probably long term if those these platforms win it's probably not good but um in the short term they are enforcing less intrusive less obnoxious ads um consistent user experiences you know offline reading some some nice reader features and so like 
in a sense it's like oh as a as a ui curator they can make things that work but as a future of the freedom of press and web you know you kind of worry like you wouldn't want facebook to be like such an important channel that they get to influence <laughs> well, the and web, I think like part of this conversation sprung up because <laughs> a few what was it a couple weeks ago um there's no date on this article seriously uh that's bad form it is just eternal it is it is preserved <laughs> forever just in amber, just like I wanted <laughs> um yeah, just a few weeks ago, uh the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, not Amazon personally owned by Jeff Bezos, um, they announced that they were going to push all of their content through instant articles on Facebook. So apparently that is about 1,200 articles a day. Now that probably includes less significant content that they might produce just for like entertainment value, but that's a lot of freaking content, right? Yeah. And apparently there's some other companies in that list that are not small. Huffington Post, uh, all of Vox Media, Time. like These are big companies that are all agreeing to not exclusively pour into the silo, but pour into the silo on like a delay feed. So, oh, you can get it first in Facebook Instant Articles. Then it'll be on our crappy website with all the banner ads. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean... For example, Washington Post is also throwing their stuff into Apple News. Um, if, uh, people who go to Wired, do people still go to Wired? Um, do people still go to Wired? I think they do. <laughs> um, they had like an editorial that was like, it was one of those eye-catching, like, oh, this is a big, interesting article. And you would try to go to it and it said, for the first week, this is exclusive to Apple News. You can't read this on Wired right now. Later, you'll be able to. So yeah, this is a... An interesting move, and there has to be a, a good deal for publishers in the background that they would do this. Like Facebook must be like, "Hey, we're gonna pay you better than crappy banner ads." Yeah, well, and we're going to pay you in a way that can't be blocked by your readers, yeah. so you'll get more predictable, consistent. You already know the majority of the internet using planet is using Facebook, so they're more likely to see your stuff. And guess how well we'll surface things that are part of Facebook instant articles? A hell of a lot better than crap people link out to. So, you know, and I think that's where it becomes a little unnerving is I don't have any problem with a, a group like Wired, you know, which is I don't is entertainment fair to what they produce is a kind of entertainment. It's not news. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. It's it's not journalism. It's I mean it's, it's for like, technology enthusiasts. I just think of their magazine. It's like what's the future of biodomes and they'd have like all these interesting National Geographic pictures and interviews and Yeah, I'm not trying to take away from the quality of what they produce. It's just it's not like journalism, right? It's not the president announcing that we've we've taken down Osama bin Laden like that's news yeah and then like here's the new you know form factor for USB drive like that's not news not in the sense of like politics and world events um so I don't really see as big of an issue with a, a group like Wired going into that space but someone who like the Washington Post or like the Huffington Post like you know journalism like traditional this is what's going on in the world journalism it feels a little weirder for them to go into this space and and i should declare very loud and openly that 
I actually don't pay attention to the news if I can avoid it because it's been proven to be like a big depressing mess that makes you unhappy and sick and doesn't really (laughs) enhance your life in any way. So I tend to actually avoid that stuff, but I know a lot of people don't and they feel obligated to stay up on world events. And it would be kind of crappy if you couldn't read about world events until the following week because Facebook had an exclusive on world news, right? I mean, the saving grace there is world news is something anyone can report on. So presumably there will always be some non-Facebook alternative to get the news unless you think uh, wapo is gonna have like the absolute <laughs> like their their interview with obama is the only thing worth reading about his new attempt to get our nation to stop shooting each other yeah i mean i i would say that a lot of news though it is supposed to be objective reporting of the facts Um, the majority of news on both sides, you know, on the more liberal side and the more conservative side, it has, you know, followers. Like there are brands where they're like, oh, I only trust Walter Cronkite or (laughs) I only trust that delightful Sean Hannity or like, you know, whatever, (laughs) whoever your poison is. So it's, if, if you follow that news source, like a brand and they go into this specific channel, people will probably follow those brands I mean, you'll see some shedding for people who won't spend the money, they won't spend the time, they hate the the new channel or whatever, but I don't know, it just seems weird to me for journalism to not be on the openest platform, which would be the web in this case. (laughs) I mean, it used to be street corners, like there were literally uh, latchkey children like trying to hand you the news from the day. Yeah, but arguably the... the the newspapers being giant monolithic distribution channels was kind of monolithic and controlled and and editorialized anyway. I mean, how you can affect a nation if you're the New York times and no, absolutely. But the source of the news and had nothing to do with the, the Avenue under which you could obtain it. Right. Like they may editorialize everything and totally report lies. Like, I don't know, but but it was not difficult for you to go out and get. Now it's like if I want to get news from the Washington Post as quickly as possible and in the most efficient way possible, I have to go through this additional, you know, it'd be like if the guys who paved the sidewalks where the newsies stood had influence yeah. over whether or not you were allowed to buy the newspaper that well, day. This is where you're an outlier because I feel like already most people get 99% of their news through social networks through shares <laughs> and stuff that bubbles up. I mean, uh, yeah, there's the enthusiast that probably goes straight to the websites, but how many, like, the homepage is no longer the most important page for, for a lot of these kinds of websites. Having sticky content that gets shared and dumps people directly into articles is how it works. No, you're definitely right. I, one of the things I do that, and I mean, I don't consider myself like a great seeker of truth, but, like, if I get directed to an interesting, you know, little piece of news or rumor, and it's on a site that I know is not super trustworthy, I will look for their source at the bottom and click through to the source and then see if that seems more reliable. Like, you know, did Boy Genius Report take this? I was just thinking of that one. (laughs) Did they take it totally out of context and spin it? Chances are yes. Let me see the source information they're basing this on. 
And I don't do that with everything because most stuff is just not that important, right? It's not that important in the grand scheme of things or it's not that important to me or worse, it is not that important in either of those situations. And then I just end up not really following up and I'm like, nah, who cares? But I don't know. Do you want longer tweets? Mm, I'm I'm very, very (laughs) conflicted on this. I, I mostly don't need longer tweets. I think tweets are fine. I think people having to get their point across quickly is great. Um, it's kind of like Pachakacha in the in the educational presentation space where you. So for if you don't know what that is, listener, that's a, a, a presentation format where you get twenty slides and you get twenty seconds per slide and you got to make it work. And yeah, they uh, auto auto uh, progress. Yeah, so don't linger, don't waste anyone's time. You know, say what you have to say. And Twitter's like that, and that's why I think it's. You know, I've long said it's been a thriving place for comedians because jokes, brevity is the soul of wit. Like having your <laughs> joke, if you can't tell it in like three lines, like figure it out. You got to shorten it. Like, yeah, um, there are good long jokes like the aristocrats, but like that's an exception, not the rule. There's a lot more good short jokes. So, I mean, until they announce something, there's not that much to say. But, you know, I'd be okay if, the, you know, if they're just like bumping up, like you get 200 characters, like that'd be fine. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But if they're like 10,000 characters, you can write <laughs> blog posts. Like, I don't want to scroll through that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have actually benefited from the, the 10,000 character DM. And it was because I had to ask a spe- one specific person <laughs> a specific question. And I was like, hey, question that t- is, you know, a paragraph long so that you have the context. That's fine. They answered with a paragraph. And then I answered with a paragraph. And then we were done. Yeah. DM might as well be a different product. It's it's IM for Twitter. It's private messaging. It's It's email. Like, whatever. But... The actual Twitter stream. The whole point is, I can scroll through quickly and get a sense of what's what the my whole world is doing. And then also, if some, something's boring, I'm past it before I've even thought about it. And if if they unveil paragraphs of tweets, um, it's going to hurt the service in my mind. So for some reason, I just had a flash of: Can you send a direct message to multiple people? And it turns out you can. But what I don't know is, can everyone on the message see all the messages? Or am I just sending one DM to, you know, three different people? So they don't know that it's... It's like when you BCC Yeah, is it CC or BCC? Yeah. So that, that may actually require some testing. Because if you could send a DM to multiple people... That's only a small feature flag away from sending a DM to a list, which is like a circle on Google+. And now you can send 10,000 character messages to a group of people. Unless they change their UI, that's never going to be a, a thing people do. Because it's, it's buried. I hope not. Yeah, I, I genuinely hope not. Because, I mean, it feels like the point of Twitter is the brevity. And that tweet storm thing that was popular for like a week... Hell no. Yeah, I'm so glad that died. One slash ten like onslaught of tweets is a problem. 
Yeah, and I it, do. I do use the slash. I do, but I try and do it very sparingly. Yeah, you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, every once in a while, I'll be ranting on a single topic, and I'll send a couple tweets out. But you know, when you start finding yourself like writing a paragraph, and you're like, I'm 800 characters over the limit. What? How many words can I remove? Like, eventually, you're like, maybe I should write a blog post and then tweet a good headline and say, go read that. So this really brings me around to the question I, I wanted to pose to you. Do you think people still need their own place to post stuff? Do only a certain kind of person need that? Uh, does no one need that? Can we all just live on various social platforms? So you you can post your long form stuff on Medium. And then because really that's just long form Twitter underneath, uh, you can then post that Medium link to Twitter. Like, Wouldn't that solve the vast majority of your word publishing needs? I think for a lot of people, yes, it, yeah. it would. So you don't, unless you're a professional, you don't really see a need for the, you know, the MichaelEdwards.com. Uh, these days, no, I don't think you need that. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt, but it, I don't know. Like you've been on some job interviews recently, and like if people post their their website link, you go check it out. But you, you, there's no association of like, oh, he doesn't have a website. What's wrong well, with him? Unless you're a web in, developer. In, or... Yeah, in tech fields. In tech fields, I would say it still counts. It it can, but I, I it still really depends. Because I could see if someone's active on Twitter and they've got their profiles and they they have a portfolio somewhere. I guess that's what the website would be. But you know, it could be, here's my dribbler. Look at all the icons I designed. They're amazing. Hire me. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And you, so, I mean, you're, you're a creative professional. You don't feel like that's risky. Like, even if you're not particularly tech savvy, but if you produce a thing, whether it's like writing or music or, or artwork or whatever, like it doesn't worry you at all to be like, yeah, I'll just put all that in somebody else's hands. And if the day I'm going for that job interview, that company happens to get bought out and shut their doors, then, oh, well, I mean, I, I, I would worry about it. I'm going to maintain my own space for that reason. But I, I think a lot of people could get away with not. Yeah. I mean, you're probably right. Most people do not maintain portfolios of any kind. I mean, well, it's, it's frustrating when you go to someone's site and it's like, oh, they posted in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not wrong it's just like, there is there is upkeep to be done you just see a tumbleweeds roll past your desk you're like oh where'd that come from <laughs> yeah i mean i i'm as guilty of that as anybody like i haven't posted in several weeks to my blog yeah i'm like oh I, at least i have something in 2015 uh, i think my last blog post was the launch of sunrise robot so <laughs> Yeah, I think I have one or two things since then. So this is a place where I think, um, uh, what's his name, Gruber of Daring Fireball is interesting because even though he's active on Twitter and he, he basically uses Twitter as the comments for Daring Fireball because a lot, the majority maybe even of his posts are just, hey, check out this thing. And then he will post on Twitter a link to his site where yeah. the entire post is, hey, check out this thing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, usually it's more than he could fit in a single tweet. So, I mean, he does need some yeah, other kind of platform. a big block quote with a link and then like his one snarky line about it. Right. But the thing is, people have found a way to do that and I hate it, but it's the picture of text. Yep. 
right? The an instant paper apparently has this built in because I've noticed some of the people I follow, all of their stupid photographs of text say instant paper at the bottom. So I mean, he could move his entire way of of blogging really onto Twitter in probably the vast majority of cases. And I, even though he could, I actually think I prefer the way he does it where he maintains this like locust of control over what he's doing. And then he can say, you know, Oh, here's the thing I'm talking about. Oh, you want to talk about that thing with me? Let's do that on Twitter or let's do that on, I don't know, Facebook or whatever else he uses. But here's, here's like my record of things that I'm thinking about. Yeah. No, I'm a fan of that. And if I was more of a writer and like, I, I think my form of that will be a portfolio of here's things I made and less, I mean, he's kind of the the armchair quarterback of Apple News, <laughs> so very true. Like it, it suits him to have this little ranty website, and then all right, I'll go in the public square and we can hash it out here on Twitter. But um, you know, this is my platform, and you know that makes sense when you're a strong personality like John Gruber. Um, and maybe we'll see some of that from these journalists that are have been associated with publishers and. You know, maybe they'll get all icky over this Facebook thing and they'll be like, I'm going to try to strike out on my own name. But I don't think you can have a thousand of those. You can't have a thousand Apple News guys like that. You can maybe have two, maybe three. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm not meaning to, although I think I have, conflated controlling your presence on the web with making that like a career or have being like a successful pundit. I think there's something to be said for if I Google someone, you know, someone I'm doing uh, an interview with or, or someone I just met and they might be a business colleague or a friend of mine is like, Oh, check out my website. Like if I Google that person's name, I like the idea of finding something that's actually under their control, not just like, Oh, they use Facebook and LinkedIn like most people. Yeah. Super great. And it's, I don't mean that in like a, Oh, if that's your only presence on the web, that's bad. It's just, if Twitter shuts down, if Facebook shuts down and I Google your name now, like now there's nothing attached to you. And I absolutely had the fear of God pushed into me when we were in college about like, you have to control your presence on the web. You work in a tech field. People will Google you yeah. and you need to make sure you have some control over what they find. Yeah. Let them find a bunch of good stuff. Yeah. Or at least something you control, even if it's just pictures of you and your dog on your personal website that with lots of SEO magic, that's still yeah. better than like your dead LinkedIn profile from 10 years ago. <laughs> Are you doing any kind of audio streaming? Um, so I, I'm a Spotify premium guy now. Um, Ooh, and you totally gave up on Apple Music, right? <laughs> yep, I'm, I'm a Dapper Dan man. Um, no. <laughs> a little O Brother reference in case anyone remembers that movie. But um, yeah, so what I love about Spotify is their Spotify Connect thing is actually pretty great. So spotify can can control other spotify's on any device and spotify's kind of gotten to the point where it's like netflix where there's not a like there's a lot of devices that come with spotify included so my ps4 has spotify so when i want to play music i just fire up the ps4 and i can control it from my phone or other macs or anything and so that's been really nice um 
other than that, I have an Apple TV. I don't stream to it much because I don't know. For, the problem has always been I don't have like a sound system um, right. set up. And so my streaming devices are attached to TVs and it's weird to turn the TV on just to hear music um, most of the time. Yeah. So this may not be a good product for you, but <laughs> at the same event where Google announced their their crazy tablet probably no one wants uh they also announced a new chromecast which i am a devout chromecast user like i was using one as recently as a couple of hours ago and i might use one again after this recording is done because it's just the stupid easiest way to get netflix onto a screen in front of my face well turns out that they also released this chromecast audio product which is just for plugging into the headphones port on any speaker system. So any stereo system, any speaker system. So if you just have like a a speaker, like a portable speaker, you can just jam this thing in there and boom, now you can Chromecast from your phone. Yeah, it's 35 bucks just to say, I want a Wi-Fi sounds to this. Right, which when your other options are things like Sonos, which each speaker costs several hundred dollars, and by all accounts, they work incredibly well. I've been told by like audio people, they're like, yeah, party mode, man. Just every room in the house is rocking and they're all perfectly in sync and it's amazing. But if each room has to pay, you know, $600 yeah. to be wired up to the system, like it's a little steep. You're buying the Amazon Alexa thing for every room yeah. like those. So uh, I think it's interesting that, you know, Apple TV just got announced their new one finally after like everybody was all freaking out. Like, where's the new Apple TV? <laughs> And then uh, the new Chromecast, which I'm tempted to upgrade just because they have faster uh, Wi-Fi built yeah. in, among other things. What is it, AC the, now? or what, what, Yeah, we're up to AC. I think the old ones went up to N or ABG or QFZYX. <laughs> I don't know. 802.11B. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's at least up through G, but I think it went up through N. And yeah, the new one does AC, which is the fastest, I think, right now. And uh, Amazon, the everything store, decided that uh, they didn't want to play. And they have banned Apple TV and Chromecast from their store. So I read this news, too, and it it is totally baffling. And the reason they gave is really baffling to me. Because they they had all this crap about, we don't want to confuse our users, our Prime, Amazon Prime streaming customers, about what options they have. And this there's a number of levels that this is crazy to me. <laughs> number one, Amazon is supposed to be good at like showing you products and telling you what they are and what they do and having reviews and being like this great research tool for buying the right thing. <laughs> so that's number one. <laughs> number two is both the Chromecast and now this newest Apple TV have SDKs you can create, you can make your thing compatible with them. Google's yes. like, bring it on. You want Amazon Prime on this? Come come join the party. And now, you know, it wasn't true before, but now Apple's OS will also have that. You can just create a Prime app. And so what would be less confusing to your customers is probably to make Prime available everywhere instead of <laughs> um, pulling your your competitors' products, which really smells more like they're, they're losing in the, the fire stick game and they, they want to use their... You know, this is rings of Microsoft's OEM moves in the 90s, but like, we own online retailing. Let's use this muscle to make our failing product get propped up. 
Well, it's a little shady to me. <laughs> it's it seems really shady, and I mean, I can't speak for for iOS because they seem to allow things that they claim are banned until they decide they don't like it, and then they ban it. And then they've banned other things that they said were allowed. So, but it's a you know, vertical integration of Apple's stuff, and you can go oh no, buy a Chromecast. Yeah. You can go buy anything else. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely not trying. I mean, I don't like that style, but I mean, it's it's a walled garden. They could do whatever the hell yeah. they want. <laughs> but with the Chromecast and with uh, with Android and and all these underlying technologies, specifically, they're built in such a way that Amazon could just saunter in and be like. Hey, you know that Google Now thing you love so much? Oh, sorry, everybody. You know that, um, hey, Googly's thing you love so much on your Android device? <laughs> Xbox <We've- off. laughs> It's just because we don't really use Xbox, so we can do that shamelessly. Um, but yeah, you, you know, they can hook into the Hey Googly feature and, and have it, have the Amazon Prime app respond and then cast things to the Google Chrome cast device. So they could come in with amazing software and absolutely capitalize on this existing hardware that like everybody owns and totally dominate in that space. I mean, I love my Chromecast. I love my Android phone. You know what? I don't cast to it a lot. Play movies. By a lot, I mean, I don't know that yeah. I've ever done that. No, <laughs> wait, I did it once. I got a free copy of the movie Gravity oh. and I, I play movie casted it from my Android Google phone <laughs> to my Chrome Android Google Box. <laughs> that was the most googly time you, that those things have ever been connected. You Google Play Music All Access YouTube Key <laughs> streamed it. <laughs> Pro Plus. But I mean this is the thing like Google really just wants you to use their stuff because they may not get you on every front, but they'll get you on some of them. And if Amazon came strutting in with their Amazon Prime and they were like, hey, if you want to watch Orange is the New Black. No, wait, is that Netflix? Yeah. What's the, what's a good show specific to Amazon? The Transcendence or Transcendent or whatever that one that won a bunch of Emmys. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you want to come in and watch that Emmy Award winning show we produced? Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Just uh, download our, our Amazon Prime video app and then you can use voice through Hey Googly and then you can throw it to your Comcast and you can watch our amazing show. And by the way, if you like that show, you should probably buy this product we sell. Like that's so very Amazon. And yet they and are very not... Raven, actually. <laughs> it is incredibly Raven, but they're not going after that avenue, that seemingly obvious avenue of attack in, instead, they want to have you know their own little black stick that I can't see, and their own little stupid black box that I don't want. Yeah, and the I will never buy one of the Amazon specific streaming devices as long as my PlayStation has the Amazon Video app. Why the hell does my PlayStation have that app, <laughs> but my Android phone can't? Yeah, I'm 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 baffled. Like. So this is, how long will this decision stand? Won't they won't they go back on this? Are they just going to wait till Christmas is over and be like just kidding? <laughs> uh I mean you would think right before Black Friday they would be like, well, we can either sell a billion dollars worth of Chromecasts and Apple TVs or we can let someone else sell them. Maybe they got to pay Gary Busey to do another <laughs> ad for <laughs> Fire TV. You know, by all accounts, the Fire TV stick and the Fire TV work great and they perform as advertised, but 
Netflix cannot be a selling feature. Everyone has Netflix. Yeah. My my freaking th- this little 3DS stand that I have here probably oh, yeah. has a Netflix app for it somewhere. <laughs> like it's just everything ever made has Netflix. Nintendo Wii, the original one, has Netflix. <laughs> it did require a disc, but you're right. It absolutely had Netflix. And so that's not going to be a, a deciding factor. Ease of use, Apple TV and Chromecast, pretty damn easy to use. So yeah. that's not really going to be a distinguishing factor. So then all you have is Amazon-specific content or and or people who have bought a lot of digital content through Amazon. Yeah. Are those people out there? And I don't mean to disparage Amazon. I don't mean to disparage anyone. I've, I feel like I've been very disparaging tonight. You're all terrible, <laughs> but I'm not trying to say that you're terrible. But this is something with music that I don't think we really see with video. Outside of Netflix, if you have to buy something digitally, where do you buy it? Where do, where do you buy stuff? For like movies? Yeah. Amazon. You, you buy digital copies on Amazon? Oh, no. I'll, I'll buy iTunes, but not much. Yeah, so this is my question. Like, if something's not on Netflix, I'm pretty sure most people just don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not, I don't want to buy a bunch of movies and then have them locked into a service. Like, that's kind of scary. And I mean, we'll rent movies, but that's ubiquitous. That's also not unique. Like, Amazon's not like we're the only ones with Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, you can rent that <laughs> anywhere. So, yeah. And I'm, I was surprised when it occurred to me the other day that the idea of buying video content is kind of unnerving to me because I have a Kindle that I love and I buy Kindle books with abandon. Like I, <laughs> I am not the least bit afraid, but I think it's because they have such incredible domination in that market that if they ever started to slip, one of the things they would have to acquiesce would be DRM. Yeah. Right, like that's a chip they could play at any time to be like, nah, you want to stay on Kindle. Man, I almost feel like the the Kindle's dominance, and this is, could be another show where we talk about books, but um, it's almost like an Al Capone situation of like, um, <laughs> like Apple was trying to compete, and there was all sorts of problems with what they did with the publishers that they got in trouble. But it still felt like uh, we we didn't we didn't find a way to compete with Amazon properly, but someone's got to do that. And we kind of like, oh, the guy that tried to attack him did it wrong, so we got to punish him. But God, someone's got to <laughs> attack them. Well, I <laughs> and think inadvertently, of... we've strengthened this gangster, even if there was another gangster that was coming <laughs> to compete. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you have to admit, though, part of the dominance with the Kindle is literally the Kindle. Right. I mean, yeah. this one, I'm holding up a Kindle 3 for all you audio viewers. Um, this <laughs> this thing is uh, old and slow by modern Kindle standards, and the screen isn't nearly as good, and it's still awesome. Like, it still works so yeah. well, and the battery lasts for a month, and I can read on it, well, and it's great. And we had a Nook, and as a piece of hardware, I felt like it was pretty close to the same idea. It just failed in the market as as a way Right, but is, is, is iBooks... Anywhere near comparable? Who the hell wants to read on a a point nine pound iPad when you could read on a point four pound Kindle? Yeah, I mean it's it sounds trivial, but it it's such low weights. Like every ounce matters, right? 
and and I mean Google Books, exact same problem. Like if you want to buy a bunch of Google Books, that's great, fine, go for it. But you have to read them on like a Nexus Seven, which is not that heavy, but it's an LCD screen. It's not you know the e ink, so it's harder on the eyes, and the battery dies, and blah blah blah. Like yeah. the exact same set of limitations. But there is not anything like that problem in the streaming video space. So when I go to buy a movie, which thankfully doesn't happen very often, but if I'm going to buy a movie, a digital copy, I kind of worry about where I'm going to be able to play that. Yeah, it's really annoying to, you know, you don't want to invest in one of them unless you're just like, my whole life is now married to this company. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's why I don't think I could ever really go iOS is even though they mostly in reality are at feature parity with, uh, with my beloved BlackBerry, <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> I you know I can't just totally unhook myself from Google, and by can't I mean I just really don't want to. Wait, what wouldn't you be able to do from Google on iOS? I mean, I'm not talking about like app feature, like the flavor of the way the OS works, but like can't you you can play Google Music? You can oh no, that stuff's there, but like Google Now, Android Wear. Um, just a lot of the the little subtle googly things like i prefer the direction their design has gone like i'd have to give up little stuff like that yeah and and because there's no huge massive differentiating features like why would i get all these paper cuts for no gain yeah well i mean so you, you don't like investing in movies because you don't want to be tied to some weird platform that may die or whatever become terrible um do you not feel that way about apps do you buy apps knowing that if you ever switch to another platform you know one password well one password's free on ios so i guess that's not a good example but you know this text editor that you know kingdom rush whatever it is like yeah no that is a perfectly valid question to which i have another oh lions is an outlier answer for you (laughs) um on android there is a uh a program made by google where they send you surveys periodically and you answer those questions and you get like a quarter or like 50 cents and it goes directly into a Google play balance. And every paid app I have bought in the last two years came out of that account. Yeah. Because they send them to you like about once a week. So you can actually build up a few dollars pretty fast. And because the majority of the apps I care about, like, you know, mail, Twitter, the web browser, like those <laughs> things are free. So most of the time when I do buy a paid app, it's like I paid for one password. I did actually pay for that with cash because I was like, I need this in my life. Yeah. Um, and and then games. And I just, because they're trivial, I just wait till I have enough money in my stupid account and then yeah. I pay for it <laughs> with, with, with that money. So if I wanted to go to iOS, I have a handful of games that I might care about that I would have to yeah. actually pay real money for. You know, and I'm actually okay with it because I just think in terms of I am purchasing something that is useful to me and I will get use out of it even if I switch platforms later and need to pay again for some of these things. That's okay. I, I think it's good for the ecosystem, especially because mobile apps are way cheaper than desktop software used to be when you'd have to buy that stuff. Um, and you know, and even now, like I was just looking at, you know, the people that make Audio Hijack make some very simple sound editing tools that may be nice in a pinch. Just be like, I don't want to fire up Logic. I just want to cut this wave and normalize it and spit it out. And like, 
be able to do that. Well, that's the $30 app. And on mobile, people would be sticker shocked like crazy. <laughs> on desktop, you don't feel that way. You're like, oh, it's like a good utility and I may use it for years. Like it's worth it. And so I'm okay paying for software because it's good for the ecosystem. And the other thing is most of these apps, you know, I wouldn't rebuy because I'd be like, oh, you know, Angry Birds. <laughs> Turns out I can live without Turns this. out I'm never going to play that game ever again. So I'm, I wouldn't rebuy it. And that, that, I feel like 90% of the apps I've paid for, I used them or didn't or whatever. <laughs> and it's okay. <laughs> well, and okay. So you hit on two really important things in there. One of which is how long am I going to get use out of this? And then the other one is do I have the illusion that I own this? Yeah. So like net and we've talked about this before like with Netflix I am fully aware that I do not own any of those movies and I am paying for the right to peruse the library and if the library <laughs> burns down then I don't get to go in there anymore cuz I get just, to raid the library while it's burning. Yeah. <laughs> I I cannot uh fiddle while Netflix burns. So, you, you know, Nero that, now. <laughs> I, I am exactly Nero. Do you remember that app? Did you ever use that on Windows? No. The god awful CD oh, burner wait. that everybody yeah, had. Yeah, I yep. think so. But but this is the thing. I I understand going into a relationship with Netflix what is happening. Um with Kindle, even though I don't really like it, I understand that they technically can take those books away. But if I buy like a you know, a, a five, ten, fifty, hundred dollar, whatever application on my MacBook Pro, like that's mine. Like I expect to run that old version of Photoshop until freaking apocalypse comes because like I bought it. It's mine now. Yeah. Whereas with like mobile apps, I don't have quite the same attachment, but I kind of feel like I, I should. Like, as long as I'm using an Android device, those apps should be there. Is it really any different on the mobile devices, though? Because, like, you bought Photoshop for Windows or whatever. If you switch to Linux, you're not like, where's my damn copy of Photoshop? A lot of Linux users probably are wondering where their damn <laughs> copy of Photoshop is. Or, I mean, no, I, you're, you're absolutely right. But you, you become way more likely to change a uh, mobile operating system if you upgrade your device every two years that's true I mean, a there's lot of way more turnover on phones yeah you have way more opportunity the the os's themselves are evolving so much the desktop os like there's lots of new features and new thingies and stuff but we have windows and you can put them side by side and so you're getting me thinking the only way this it would work to kind of extract software from that is for these vertically integrated stores to go away and software distribution to go back to kind of the open range of desktop world and i i definitely makes me think like if i'm buying a mac app or utility whether it's one password or anything um first i check if i can buy it outside the mac app store because Always. Always. You never go full Mac App Store. <laughs> Unless it's your only option and it's cheap enough and you're like, fine. Um, and the reason is because there's so much more freedom for the publisher to do cool stuff, whether it's like, oh, Sketch 4 is out. Well, previous owner, you get a free upgrade. Or, right, um, or half price, yeah, or whatever. Or, you know, anything in between, all of that stuff. And on the Mac App Store, it's either everyone gets a free copy because we just update the existing app, or we create a new app, and sorry, loyal customers, you're paying full price. 
Yeah. And just, that's a that's a broken model. That's all the app store's fault. And they could fix that by like giving tools to to sellers to do stuff like that, but that, that those would all be little band-aids to the ultimate problem of a, an independent publisher of software if they have a way to distribute that onto these devices can say, yeah, buy the Android version. We'll give you the iOS version. Switch around all you want. But they can't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like you can't do a good streaming comparison model with apps. Like, you could be subscribed to an app so that you get all the updates and all the, you know, I mean, that's how a lot of cloud services work. And that's, that's fine, but you couldn't do a Netflix for apps because how would you fund that? Yeah, yeah, the publisher would have to like give you download codes on the other platforms or something. Yeah, and and then so it's like, oh, this one little indie developer is now responsible for maintaining an app on 10 different platforms so that he can be listed in the Netflix for apps where apps are available on all platforms. Like that's that just seems insurmountable to me. Yeah. Especially cuz like with a book or a movie or or music or any creative work, like once it's done, it's kind of done. So you have a lot of yeah, just lie back and rake in the royalties. In the yeah, I mean you have a you have a lot of flexibility over what you consider to be an acceptable business model. Like, do I want to do an a la carte? Am I going to sell it for a pay what you want? Do I want to put it on these streaming services? Do I want to just do all of these and let people get my stuff wherever it is? Um, but with an app, it's like, well, you got to maintain it. <laughs> like it's never done right until it's yeah. abandoned. It's not done until it's abandoned, and then at that point, when, it's when there are problems, it's on the individual app developer to fix them. Whereas if Netflix's video player breaks, Sony TriStar director <laughs> of Silver Linings Playbook isn't called in to help fix the streaming platform. Now I'm imagining like the <laughs> frantic two a.m. call, like, like Steven Mr. Spielberg. President of Sony, help us. <laughs> Help us, Stephen. It's just buffering for hours. Yeah, I don't. I I want to go toward a a streaming model. Like you know, this new Chromecast audio. Like the minute I saw that, I was like, "Ooh, I want one." Wait, I have no use for this. Yeah. I kind of want one though, just because I like the idea of just pressing a button on my phone and then my house has music in it. Yeah. Well, and like I've really enjoyed that my work pays for Adobe Creative Cloud. And while I wouldn't want to pay for that myself, I'd probably try to find other tools. But there are some amazing advantages to the fact that every single update just comes. It just shows up. Um, You can actually install previous versions of all their apps. You can install Illustrator all the way going back to like 10 different versions. And so what? Why? Why would you do that? Because production shops that have a plugin that never got updated may want to use an old version that... okay. Like the, we use this effect on our videos and that company's out of business and they're never going to update it. And we just want to whatever legacy. Um, but also just working with creative professionals. I know that anyone else using Adobe creative cloud can like, I can do anything collaborating with them. I don't have to worry about it. And so right. it's just really nice, uh, but it'd be, you know, 30 bucks a month if I wasn't, if I was on my own. But if it, I made my well, living, but they're supposed to doing, be pro tools. Yeah. yeah, if I made my living doing this stuff, it's just part of life. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance you would ever get some kind of home streaming thing for audio? Because I mean, you have half a dozen different devices that'll play videos, but 
are you ever going to go Sonos or you going to hook big speakers up to your Apple TV or something? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, right now we most of my music listening is when I'm commuting, so it's all headphones and and car. Um, but you know, if we get into a house and I wire something up or kind of get more serious about my audio setup, yeah, I'll definitely be looking into that. So here's a question. This might be a better topic for bits and pieces, but I'm just sort of curious, you know, you're, you're a musician, you actually make music, you, you enjoy and appreciate and actually care about music. Unlike me, or I'm just like, ah, it's white noise. Yay. (laughs) So do you prefer like really nice headphones or do you want like a well-treated room with high quality speakers where you can like sit back in a chair and just like let the music just wash (laughs) over your whole body? Like do, is there any reason to prefer one of those to the other other than caring about like everyone else in the house having to hear what you're listening to? I mean, those are to me different moods and situations because like yeah the the, like glass of wine or scotch and like (laughs) a recliner while you put the record on and listen like that might be nice but i don't i don't think i would do that very often but i i mean i do have like in the back of my head like this house fantasy of having like this den it'd probably have all the video games too but there would be a music setup so you could really just kind of soak it in but you know, headphones are way more practical on so many way levels. Way more practical. And you can get good headphones and, and hear great stuff, and um, I, that's just more likely to happen. Yeah. I, I think the the age of the hi-fi is... It's one of those... It's It's the San Francisco problem, right? It's like how every app is trying to solve problems for young single rich people in san francisco i feel like all these music streaming like devices not the services themselves but you know sonos and the beats pill speaker it's like yeah this is awesome if you're 22 and like a bachelor pad and you're throwing parties and yeah but like for me like even i mean i have a two-year-old and but even if i didn't like i'm not going to just subject my wife to whatever i happen to feel like listening to like I just can put on headphones and then I can listen to whatever the hell I want. And she can simultaneously listen to whatever the hell she wants. Otherwise we have to agree like, Hey, I'm kind of in like a, a rent mood. Like you want to just listen to rent. Can you stop watching the TV so I can play rent throughout the whole house on, (laughs) on the Sonos system? Like how often does that happen? Yeah. It's a, it's a weird Silicon Valley fantasy or something. (laughs) Just like we were laughing about that with like the the Apple Watch and Google Android Wear like demos, or it's just like who is this fictional person that's like <laughs> going for a run, can't find a Starbucks, is eating sushi, is getting lunch to talk about product <laughs> launches? Like it's just like this weird. <laughs> I want to live that life. <laughs> yeah, you know the only place I actually use Bluetooth audio that isn't speakers or isn't headphones is my car. Yeah. In fact, I didn't even announce at the beginning of the episode, but I got a PS4. Oh, my God. And, you know, we could talk about this more next time. But you know what the very first thing I tested was? Plugging headphones into the controller. (laughs) Oh, it's so nice. Well, because you actually have to turn that on to make it do all audio. Because otherwise, it's just for chat, which is fine that that's the default. But, again, two-year-old gaming late at night. Like, I want all the audio in my headset. In fact, I will probably use these Sony MDRs that I have on right now, and it will be a way better experience than my crappy TV speakers ever could be. So are you already on your way to pick up Batman? (laughs) No, Last of Us first. Okay. 
Could be Last of Us first. You got to play then... it twice because you're like a god the second time through. <laughs> yeah. So Last of Us, then uh, I think Metal Gear Solid after that, then Arkham Knight after that. And then Fallout in, in all 4. The, <laughs> in all this imaginary time, I'm going to have <laughs> to play these games. You know, we did actually, you know, Susan and I, after I got it set up and I installed the one update, which was nice. There was just one. Um, but I got everything going. And uh, what was the first thing we actually used it for? <laughs> Streaming a video. Streaming Netflix. <laughs> So so my brand new Netflix box works great. And Netflix has made their UI the same everywhere, so it doesn't even like seem different while you're using it. Nope, it was totally identical. <laughs> so it works, yay. We should put a bow on this. All right. So, listener, you can check out show notes for all the articles we talked about at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 87 and while you're there if you're not already subscribed you should use our itunes or rss link um, especially if you're on your mobile phone um, and then that all should pop you over and into your podcast app so you can subscribe or uh, use your podcast app and search for flipping tables and that way new episodes will be freely and perfectly delivered every single week straight to your phone and then next time you're you're on a train or running away from someone with a knife, you can listen to our show <laughs> and uh, get some tips um, on your next tech purchase. Um, some of our favorite apps, I like to use Overcast.fm on my iPhone, um, or there's a built-in podcast app, or Lions, what do you use? I'm still using Pocket Cast, which is also on iOS, but you do have to pay separately if you buy it on both platforms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, if you'd like to support us directly, uh, we have a Patreon, which Patreon's had some rough times this past week. Maybe it we has. should talk about that sometime. Um, but we do have a Patreon going, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. Change your password, but also think about uh, supporting <laughs> us. Um, and if you support us at a certain level, you'll get your name mentioned on every episode. So special thanks to Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Longa. We love you guys. And seriously, go change your password. Yep. See you next week. <laughs>